Welcome back to the Poker Zoo. Who is this? Welcome back to the Poker Zoo. This week, Persuadio interviews Joe Offsuit. A uh, real nice guy. I met in Vegas over the summer. A uh, very active member of the TBR forums. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this interview. Uh, well, we actually received some feedback on the show this week. We've been advertising the Zoo Hotline for many weeks. Nobody calls. 410-775-6224. Or leave an audio file with email to thepokerzoo at gmail.com. But apparently Pat rattled Justin's cage enough last week that he thought he needed to redeem himself. So here's a message from Justin. Dean, I heard you calling me obnoxious on the podcast. I'd like to let you know I am not obnoxious. I am the best action player at the Charlestown Casino. Thank you. Well, to be fair, it was Pat, and he said you at one time used to be obnoxious. Uh, and we also heard from Greg, whom I hypothesized about uh, two weeks ago. Hey, Dean, this is Greg. I appreciate the shout-out the other day. You're exactly right. My wife does not play poker, but loves the podcast. And so thank you to Greg's wife for being part of our 0.01% female non-poker playing demographic. You can find this episode and all other episodes of the podcast at persuadio.nl or simply do a search for The Poker Zoo. There's also a place there to subscribe via iTunes or your favorite uh, other Android podcast aggregator. Speaking of iTunes, we would love to get your review of the show on iTunes. Reviews and ratings seem to boost the podcast uh, listings there, and we are buried in the weeds. So if you could find it in your heart to take a minute, go to iTunes and leave a review of the show there. We would certainly appreciate it. Some say that he once worked as Princess Diana's etiquette consultant and as a friend of the royal family, Ghost wrote Elton John's second version of Candle in the Wind. We, however, just call him Persuadio. Welcome back once again to the Poker Zoo. Today we have a long-anticipated guest, one of my favorite people in the forums. I've known him for quite a while and even played with him on stream at Live at the Bike. He is a lot of fun. He, we have some gambling stories to tell. And, uh, well, we'll let him tell his own story. Welcome to the show, Joe Offsuit. Hey, Chris. Hello, show. <laughs> yes. Hello, Poker Zoo. <laughs> you said there's editing. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's, there's always editing. Mostly it's weird things I say, but, you know, these, those editors, they're so extreme. They take okay. out some of the best stuff. I don't know what their problem is. Let's uh, let's talk. Um, you we met basically ship forums. Uh, what brought you to Redship? What created the path to where we know each other? Okay, I believe I joined Redship early in 2016. I had books from both Miller and Hull, and I actually have all of Miller's books and all of Hull's books. And I finally decided, Hey, I've got a, I should get active on this forum. And I think, you know, not long into being active on the forum, I saw there was going to be a red chip meetup and I just decided, you know what, I'm going to go to this. I hadn't been to Vegas in about, uh, you know, seven or eight years prior, but I wanted to go to this and I wanted to meet all you guys and uh, I'm so glad that I did. Yeah, it's always been a lot of fun. 
And, you know, Vegas is something you do for not just poker, right? You are a bit of a gambler. Yes, I've been a bit of a gambler for, you know, since the late 90s. You know, family has caused me to cut back substantially. But I have uh, decided, you know, I really, you know, I enjoyed poker. Poker changed a whole lot since, you know, before my kids were born to what it is now. That story's been told a million times. But, you know, I'm, uh, I like to play now, too, with the, you know, I've enjoyed it all along. Cool. How'd you get started? I guess I was playing uh, other, you know, table games in the 1990s. And I was just seeing how bad the other players were. And I just felt I had to, if I could play against them instead of against the dealer, I should, things would be a whole lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought. So wait a minute. You were playing table games, and you realized that the table game players were playing badly. So you thought poker was a place where you could play against table game players. I suppose I thought that way. Uh, but back then, poker players were really, really bad also. Not oh, that they aren't today, but they were much worse back then. <laughs> These poker players of the past get so much shit. Were they really that bad? Yes. Yes, okay. Thank you. All right. Yes. Well, you heard yes. it here. Tell me a little bit more about gambling because Joe isn't just a gambler. He's also a gambling writer, a travel logger of sorts. Uh, what, is, what is a trip for you like? Uh, you know, are you a local guy? Do you travel? Tell me about uh, what a stint is for you. A stint... If I can get out, you know, I do still like to get free rooms and free food or at the very least discounts at the hotels. So I will try to play enough games, whether they're table games or slots, so that I can get receive those offers. However, you know, I'm careful to choose this, you know, the games so that I know exactly what the house edge is. Many of them, like video poker, the games of skill. So I have to know the strategy inside and out before otherwise I'm just, you know, spewing money. And I just make sure that I can play enough so that what I get in return offsets, you know, the loss that I'm expecting to give the house. And it's getting harder and harder. That used to be really easy. Now, you know, there's some opportunities, but, you know, not a lot of people talk about them, you know, the good opportunities anymore because, you know, when the word gets out on the good opportunities, it, you know, the, it gets killed. You might remember two years ago, I was playing poker at Harrah's and I asked them to play a 1-1 Omaha game and they agreed and they were giving the high hand poker to Omaha as if it was a hold'em game, which, you know, you get, a, I think, $50 plus $50 to the next pot every time someone gets quads in Omaha. And they're basically giving away more than what they're taking in at rake when they do that. 
And I told a few of you guys about it, but you know, it's like, you know what? Don't tell too many people because once they catch on to this, it's going to go away. <laughs> but those See. type of mistakes, they're still out there and they're just a whole lot of fun to find. But you know, you can't tell too many people when you find them. Yeah. So who do you tell? Is there a secret gambling society, <laughs> a forum, friends? Do you tell the guy yeah, at the it, bar? It's who you trust. No, you don't tell the random guy at the bar. And you don't brag about it either. Yeah, back in the early 2000s, I was in a forum where people shared this type of information. You know, information like a dealer who deals so sloppy that they can be exploited because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And if uh, um, you know, a table dealer is behaving that way, where, you can, where he's making mistakes that gives you know, the player advantage, you know, then that information gets shared. And, uh... Well, what happens to the dealer? Are you saying something happens? A dealer might, might have a bad habit of you know, looking at a card, or especially handheld games. They might have a bad habit of you know, lifting the bottom of the deck up and giving players information that can, they can use to you know, play in an advantage. So if I dropped you in Vegas with, no, you know, with $50 and nowhere to go, could you get yourself a room? Could you take care of yourself? I don't think I could today. Huh. Well, wait, if I had all my players' cards, I could. But um, because I have, you know, I have, you know, I, I do have free rooms that I've earned. But if I didn't have those and I had to start new, I don't think I could. So, so life is, is harder as a comp grinder now. It's almost impossible. You, you got to have another job. <laughs> but you got me some free drinks a couple of times. Oh, those are still easy. Okay, at least there's something. Jeez. Yeah. All these hardworking slots players deserve something. And anyone who you know, sits at the floor, they just got to know to ask, and they got to know what they can get. You know, the cocktail waitress won't tell you all the drinks they have. They'll hope you just order a beer or... Um, you know, something that they can, you know, squirt out of their alcohol gun. Well, that doesn't sound quality. good. So you're saying you can, get a, you can ask for a good drink and get it free? It depends where you go, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, you can get that at the poker table, too. Of that's course, yeah. you, always, you always tip your cocktail waitress, but yeah. Oh, is, is tipping a big thing for a comp grinder? Or do you track like your tips? Are you tracking every dollar that you spend on this endeavor? I don't anymore. Okay. Uh, there are some, you know, comp grinders who are really, really stingy, but I definitely try not to be one of them. Now you slipped in a, a, a funny thing. You said sl a slot video poker is a game of skill. What, what makes it a game of skill? Now, video poker, they have to deal from a fair deck. Nevada requires it. Most states require it. You know, Indian tribes, maybe they don't require it. But there are laws that when you're playing video poker, they have to deal from a fair 52-card deck. And then when you draw, those draws have to be random cards that aren't seen. And there's all kinds of rules regulating that. And so, therefore... Because you're playing a game, uh, you know, with a completely random deck of cards, 
and known payouts, you can calculate what your what the house edges in that game is, you know, if you can calculate a near-perfect strategy for that game. So then a lot of games do have 99% or better returns. Some of casinos now are beginning to care more what games you're playing and they're changing the comp system, what they're comping players based on their theoretical edge. And those casinos are now impossible to beat. But not all of them do that because they lose a lot of players when they do that. So, you know, there's still some opportunities out there. You know, casinos, they're making the video poker pay tables worse and worse everywhere. So it just becomes harder and harder to do. Well, let me talk a little bit about uh, your travel writing because you don't just go and play. You, You write about your experience. Why do you do that and where do you do that? I actually just started doing that after uh, a family trip about a year and a half ago. You know, I've been reading, you know, trip reports forever, and we had a trip that it didn't have any poker content at all, but it was just a lot of, you know, coupons and, you know, hustling. And I think we got one of these Las Vegas passes, a city pass, and we were determined to get as many attractions off that as possible, you know, for the one, you know, trip I took, you know, my family to Vegas. And I had, I actually had fun writing it and I got a lot of positive reviews. A lot of people, you know, wrote back that, hey, this is good. (laughs) Tell me more. And, uh, and I also got people who didn't reply, who just told me, hey, that's a good report, Joe. So I decided I'd do a few more. And the trips that I did by myself, I tried to, you know, put a couple poker hands in there, even if they weren't, you know, written to the level that you might expect, you know, a poker student to appreciate, but it was at least to a level to let people know that I'm a poker player with some knowledge. And I also reach out a little bit to, you know, I, I mentioned a few things in there about, you know, the paid tables of the game. So, other, you know, skilled players, they know that I'm a skilled player and they might reach out, you know, I, I get more of a network of people who can, who share information, which is good. And I just have a lot of fun, you know, writing about things that I guess the Vegas, the recreational players enjoy also. You know, I I think I called my first trip report, everything I never wanted to do in Vegas because, you know, we're going to the top of the stratosphere and we're going to the Paris <laughs> Tower. And, and this is just stuff that, you know, all my trips to Vegas, I've never had any interest in doing. But I'm going with the family and we got a city pass and I'm taking them to all of them. And we're going to just get it all done on one trip so I never have to do it again. Well, yeah. uh, tell me also about your poker life. Let's move into that. You, I've seen you in Vegas, obviously, but... Now, what do you do locally to play? You can't just play on trips, surely. Right. I, um, you know, where I live, they have some private games, uh, which are no rake, which, you know, I get invited to. And on, and sometimes I'll go to Oklahoma to play there, and they've got, you know, one of the softest poker rooms I know of. Just how, if I told you they used to play bad, 
you know, 20 years ago, they still play bad there. And there's some rooms in Louisiana where they also still play really, really bad. And yeah, um, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of well known, I guess, or sort of known that these games are a little bit soft. If you're lucky yeah. enough to be down there. There's some legalities. Do they affect you? I've, um, I'm aware of the legalities and I don't play in any game that's even suspect of being, uh, you know, an illegal game. You know, for example, in, in Texas, they talk about a game being illegal if the house makes any money off the game. And, you know, some places will say, well, this is just a time charge, so we're not really making money off the game. And uh, in some parts of Texas, they have those rooms. In other parts, they get cease and desist orders. And I, I just, I stay away from those rape games. I've seen some of those, but I stay away from those too. Uh, private games with no rake are 100% legal, and, and they don't bother anyone. Now tell me a little bit about the psychology or culture of the Texas poker player. Why are the games so wild and good? I would not say that about some of the private home games I play in. Those guys are pretty good. But the games in Oklahoma and Louisiana, <laughs> gosh, I mean, they're worse than bad. I mean, back in the 90s, players were just bad because they were just there to have fun. Now you have players who think they know what they're doing and they try to talk the, the literate poker talk, and they're even worse. It's, you you got to come down here sometime and play in one of these games. You gotta, it's well, now, just, you, now, you're, now you're doing what you didn't do for the table games. You're telling us the secret. Don't worry, I'll keep this just between me and you. No, this is not. <laughs> this, is, this is no secret. You, you just have to be willing to deal with, uh, it's a different place to live, I guess. That's all. All right. Well, no explanation, but no explanation needed. Let's, okay. talk, about, uh, let's talk about a tougher game, and, and, but an equally fun game, because you've been a big part of uh, my OPP uh, club game, and you've been a big contributor okay. in terms of taking down hands and getting involved in the TBR strategy discussion. Tell me about your experience okay. there. Tell me about your thoughts on the game. And then we'll actually talk about some of the spots that might concern you. Okay. Yeah. You know, the first hand I took down, I've been playing for a couple months and I wasn't in your forum at the time. And I remember asking you about it and said, yeah, I'll let you in when I pretty soon. And I hadn't heard from you when I've been playing in the game and then finally, there was a hand between one of your students and one of Fausto's students. And I know Fausto's students, and I was, you know, talking to him about the hand a lot. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to post this hand on the Redship forum and see if it gets any discussion. Mm -hmm. And what I understand happened is, and I emailed both of the players in the hand, say, hey, I just, you're in this hand. And of course... Like I post on the forum, I keep the players anonymous. I just kind of the positions and the cards they had. 
that I know from Showdown. And I put it up there, and it got very few responses on Redshift Forum, which was, oh, I don't know what to expect. But then I heard from, you know, Fausto's student that it lit up conversation on his private forum. And I heard from your private student, or your student, that it lit up conversation on one of your private, one of your forums, but there was nothing here for the, the players of the game. And, uh, <laughs> and then I, and then I just, I had to ask you again, Hey, Chris, uh, do you think I could get into your forum and, you know, discuss the games? And then I saw the hand wasn't discussed there either. I guess you have even another forum, you know, for your <laughs> students where you discuss hands. And as you can tell, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of anyone in that game. Let's get them all into the same forum. I think I gave you a message on, uh, you know, the message I sent a few nights ago on the Discord chat. I said, just get them all in your forum, Chris, and uh, let's discuss the hands. So did you ever, uh, so did we ever, uh, did you ever get satisfaction on this hand that you, it sounds like everyone got to talk about it, but you. (laughs) I'm fine with it. It's uh, but I guess what I'd like to see is uh, let's let's get all the players. You know, it's a game. We're all, you know, except for the coaches and the pros, all of us are trying to learn in that game, and it's really a great format. But then, you know, and it's a very cutthroat game. You know, I used to, you know, just off topic, I used to describe red chip games as a knife fight in the dark, but these games are just cutthroat. They're, they have, um, they've settled down a bit. Whereas red chip games, it seems like everyone's just raising and raising and bullying each other. And (laughs) yeah, you're going to see different cultures come up. I've been to most of the red chip meetups and some of the tables there are going to be pretty wild frankly people just having fun yeah i remember sitting at yeah. one where there's just a bunch of guys hanging around waiting for aces as if they were just playing their normal las vegas game and in fact that's really who they were they were locals coming in and hoping to do what they normally do which is prey on the tourists and then i played in, in tougher fun versions or even mixed games yeah even big games which develop into plo games where thousands of blinds are on the table but yes, the, the, the TBR OPP games are useful for learners. We play very deep for the most part. Um, the minimum buy-in is 200 big blinds. Uh, let's take a look at some of your hands or ones that interest you. Um, one that you posted for yourself a while back. Okay. This hand from 1013. Um, you have it as... Ace 10 suited versus ace ace. If you want to look that okay. up on the forum, you'll find it. I, f- a few I found pages it. Pages back. Yep. And yeah, you might want to put this, you know, with the blog so other people can read it, read sure. along. Okay. Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> and if you could just walk us through the hand, because I believe you are in it. Yeah. If I say I'm in it, I usually identify myself, but. I don't identify people unless they want to self-identify. I was cut off in the hand. Okay. So uh, it was a $30 effective stack. That could have either been me or the other player. I can't remember. Okay. Under the gun, raised to 60 cents, three big blinds. 
And so I was cut off with pocket aces. I raised three times that to a buck 80 under the gun called. Uh, the flop came with looks like two hearts and two broadways. I bet about two thirds pot and I got a call. The turn came with a nine creating a um, you know open-ended straight draw with anyone with a 10. Looks like I only bet two-thirds pot again and got a call. Uh, River, under the gun, bet out for effective stat size, which was, you know, the SPR after the turn was only 0.8, you know, when the river began. So I guess I was forced to call that at the end. Sure. Yeah. And then you give your, your, your process here. And just to review, this is, okay. ends up being a heads-up hand. Um, on the flop, the three-bet pot with Joe as the, the pre-flop raiser. From the yeah. cutoff, three-better, the flop comes jack of diamonds, six of hearts, queen of hearts. He bets, gets a call from the out-of-position yeah. player. Turn is in nine, uh, which brings in yeah. king ten and some two pairs. He bets again. Uh, looks like okay. he's about two-thirds pot. And the out-of-the-gun calls. The pot right. is 23-12, seven of hearts on the river. And the under the gun now leads for just under 100 big blinds right. uh, into the pot for 18.59. And Joe calls pretty quickly, as I recall. And um, then you left some thoughts on this hand. Yeah, and I looked down. Now I remember what I hated the most about the hand was at the end of the flop, the SPR was 2.8 um, going into the turn, and I just didn't like that. I knew that if uh, the SPR was four or higher, then I had an easy check back on the turn, and I felt that if the SPR was you know one or less, then I could just shove on the turn. But at 2.8, I was just in that ugly middle, and then I just made an ugly bet size which uh you know gave all the draws odds to call of course um under the gun had both a flush draw and an open-ended straight draw so <laughs> gosh you know looking at that if i knew that i would have wanted to just get it in right there but it was but i you know i didn't know that but you well, know it's sure. either Check back or bet big, but betting uh, that bet size, I just, uh, it was ugly. And I've just got to avoid <laughs> that spot. Well, you, you're going to be in that spot. You can't avoid the spot. So the question is, what do we do? And well, the ways to, I guess, to avoid the spot is, you know, if I can, you know, get my, my flop bet sizing a little better. I can try to steer the SPR for the, you know, for going into the turn. That's not easy, but, uh, yeah, but that's probably not, yeah, it's probably not something I'm going to be doing practically anytime soon. <laughs> Go right. ahead. I'm so, sorry. No, so there's a lot of things going on here, and there there happened to be quite a dis to discussion on the hand, and I'm not going to go through all of that, but for... You know, a player who's coming out of RCP and through the Doug Hole material, there's there's a lot of of these 
rather standard bets and they don't end up serving you as well as deciding a more critical question. And that is on the turn, whose card, does that card favor you or does it favor the caller? I would definitely say that favors the caller. Well, he's the only one who's going to have King 10. Uh, he probably doesn't have Queen 9 or Jack 9, but he could, but you, mm-hmm. certainly, you certainly can't. Okay. Right. So what's, what's happening here, to put it very simply, is that the board is starting to turn against you. And that yep. um, if you decide to bet another one of these two-third pot bets, when you leave, you know, um, about three, three times that bet on the river, the out-of-position player who's drawing gets to play pretty perfectly against you. He can either jam now, representing King-10, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And so say he has tens now, he might be able to get your aces to fold. Or if you're not yeah. the folding type, which you don't seem to be based on the river, um, he can take a card and then mm-hmm. uh, play the river. And now he decides to lead on this card. I don't, well, we can talk about that. But the, the, the problem on the river then becomes, and we'll get to that, well, what is he bluffing with? Well, it, it's all just about the turn. And I'm, I like how you're thinking about the SPR. because it, yeah, I post the SPR in all my hands. It's uh, something I look, I'm looking at a lot more and I'm calculating even when playing on table games or on live. Yeah, okay. You, you calculate the SPR at table games. I love it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm saying that <laughs> I meant for live play. What, what, are, what are we talking about? The, as opposed to online play. Sure. Uh, no, SPR is an important guide. Um, it's not the only guide, point, yeah. um, but it is, it's, it's important. Um, so on, yes. the turn, yes. on the turn, you have <clears throat> some options, and the better options include <clears throat> not betting at all because you okay. feel that this card is not good for you. You protect. Mm-hmm. You, what happens is a lot of complicated things happen. You now head to the river with a stronger range by having checked back. You see bets okay. flop. You check the turn, and now on the river, you get to call all of his bets, and they're smaller, and you'll pick up more bluffs that way. Um, and so that's just one way right. of thinking about it. Right. Now, this right. is the second way, because the nine only improves king 10, really. Um, but it, okay. continues, it continues to allow, allow a lot of draws and even maybe improve some of his draws, right? If he had pocket 10, sure. you know, he does have that hand. That can improve on the river. Now you need to consider what you see a lot of in this game, and that's a very large bet on the turn. And that okay. puts that puts his flop calling strategy, because poker is always connected one street to the next. That put his flop that puts his flop calling strategy in peril. He called knowing playing against you very likely that he's going to get a very good price on the turn. But when you put okay. in now, when you put in now, say make it instead of uh, two-thirds pot, say you make it 150% of pot, everything that he has is in, is in trouble. And his bluff catchers have to make a decision there. They're either going to give up to your bluffs or they end up paying the maximum. Um, and they may even find themselves so-called committed on the river. Um, mm-hmm. so, that, so that's the primary way of thinking about that. Uh, but let's move to the river, which is the seven of hearts. Remember the board. It's jack of, ni- jack of okay. diamonds, six of hearts, queen of hearts. Turn is a nine of diamonds, bringing in king ten, maybe some two pairs, certainly a set of nines improved. 
um, Queen Jack might raise here or might have already raised the flop. So we're really mainly concerned about King 10 and draws and sets of nines. But then the seven of hearts comes. Uh, okay. Right. Uh, now that completes one of the major draws that an under the gun player will have. He'll always open all of his ace high suited cards. Yeah. And many of the king high suited cards. Yeah. So when he leads into you for pot here, which might mm-hmm. even be a mistake on his part because it's so easy to fold here. What I okay. would ask you is like, you say you had to call, and this is my concern from some of the, the poker thinking that you've exhibited. Why do you call just because the SPR is so low? Oh, but, you know, it's less than a half pot. A lot of people, um, and one thing I will do is if I have a, I will call on a straight draw, and then I will, I might lead out if the flush comes in. And maybe I'm thinking the other player's capable of doing something that I sometimes do, and that's a big mistake to make. I can't even. I can't even remember who the other player was. This was about a month ago, but yeah. Right. What I'm asking you. Yeah, I could have made a hero fold there if it was, and I make these folds a lot. Uh, Here's a guy who played, well, I guess it doesn't count that he played, you know, passive twice and then leads out, if you remember the chicken hawk. But I've, (laughs) I've made this fold. You remember the, was it the chicken hawk theorem or whatever, where, Oh, yes. I remember the chicken hawk theorem quite well. <clears throat> it's the chicken both, hawk it's, theorem. It's a, it's a funny idea, uh, and there's some truth yeah. to it. Now, these players aren't the most yeah. passive. They're not doing it because no. they're just passive players. I would, I, what I really want to urge you and the listener to really look at is trying to improving is look at the board. I understand the SPR is 0.8, effectively 1 on the end. Yeah. And that you feel committed, but there's nothing that you beat here at this point that would take this line. There's very few bluffs, in other words. Uh, King King 10 uh, is already there. Ace 10 is a gutter that might have floated, okay, and might have the ace of hearts. Uh, But all of his range is concentrated around heart draws, King 10, the set of nines. Sure. Um, queen jack that slow plays any slow yeah. plays with sets uh, you're just running out of um, you're running out of air that you beat and yeah, I, I, I understand I that agree. yeah yeah I understand yeah, I'm looking at that wanna, board there's nothing left yeah yeah that, and that's just the concept I want to get across if I could simplify this whole hand down to one thing for you yeah. yes you've reached SPR1 but that's yeah an illusion that you have to stack off every time it's SPR one, if the board is completely mm-hmm. against, is completely against you. Uh, now let's think about the ace yeah. of hearts, which you don't have. It's possible. It's possible that he has ace 10 with the ace of hearts and that that would be a pretty good bluff here. Um, now in order to prevent that bluff from happening, if you had raised the turn uh, or bet the turn yeah. larger, he would not be continuing with that naked uh, card as much. Yeah. So, he, so you could argue with me and you could say, well, yeah. no, Chris, in addition to uh, the four 
king tens and the you know any number of flush draws let's say nine flush mm -hmm. draws he also has these um you know maybe up to a maximum of 12 combinations of bluffs okay. well is he really going to lead into your three betting range uh after calling twice this is where the yeah. whole chicken chicken hawk thing comes in you're saying you yeah. have aces top set second set it's a pretty bold move so i would think that his ratio of value to bluffs yeah uh becomes mostly value here and so that's why yeah. even if you you say hmm, i'm going to call because i don't want to be exploited by this player and he's a yeah. good player uh don't snap call uh okay. think, think about it and realize that you're only sure. doing very specific bluffs at this point I had a very tough decision. Well, I guess you're saying it wasn't that tough a decision. That's a pretty easy fold on the river. But I could have saved myself a lot of anguish if I made my if I just checked back the turn there or made a bet bigger on the turn. Yeah, you, you're 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 seeing that there's a strategy past yeah. uh, just betting for value at a standard yeah. size and then dealing with your problems later. But anticipating yeah. your problems to come and betting a, a size or not betting, yeah. betting a, betting zero that's going to help you out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe let's look at one other one. What what one interests you at the moment? I, I you know the one I would suggest is this one you left you left a sort of funny comment on it. It's this 10-10 uh, versus ace-10 hand. And you say at the end of the, your comment, you say, in this game, has this now become a snap call for the small blind <laughs> this type of hand? You're, you're exasperated. You're like, what is going on? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's, uh, let me, I remember the comment. Let me find that hand. This is on November 8th, so it's going to be relatively easy to find. Well, it says hand from 11-6, 11, and uh, okay, post, I got it. I got it on the eighth. Yeah. See what happens. Okay. What happens is Joe transcribes these hands after looking at the video, and he posts maybe up to like ten of them on a good day. I've and, done that before. Yes. <laughs> and we if all I'm get not to too busy. I'll just. I'm really happy when people comment on them. Sometimes I post a lot of hands and they don't get a lot of comments, but when people comment on them, I'm happy. I. Don't even think I've read many of the comments on this hand. Haven't. Don't think I've had a chance to. Yeah, it's well worth going through. So um, I'll, I'll take okay, us through then. the hand this time, and we'll go through some of the um, the okay. ideas in it. And I, and I want to say, you know, and I I have to I have to say this sometimes because people don't understand what's going on in a in a game where people are fighting for pots. And we had, of course, we had a big kerfuffle in the forums over a hand where a player kind of went nuts with a, a flush draw a blocker and um it didn't sit right with you know a live reg who would never see that but the question you have to ask yourself is what's what does a tough game look like what does a rational game look like actually it looks very busy and active and when you sit down okay. with your fellow old men coffee types at your local 1-3 game or your local 2-5 game, you have to recognize that's not what a good game is. And their very conservative strategy is really a lot about paying rake and spending time together and not fighting for pots. So things will happen, whether you look at this game or you look at 
you know, go on two plus two and you look at some high stakes hands, you'll say stuff and you'll say, this looks crazy. Uh, but the, yeah. the question to ask yourself is, well, maybe there's some logic behind it. And there's a lot of logic behind uh, this one. So okay. here's the setup. We're playing, uh, again, eight-handed, uh, 10.20 cent NL, which is our practice stakes. Uh, and I think we're 500 blinds deep. Uh, Pre-flop, the under-the-gun player raises to 60 cents. Okay. So the, the low jack folds. It's a player who never shows. Okay. <laughs> the high jack uh, now raises uh, to $2. Uh, I jack had ace ten the hearts. Okay. Yep. Yeah. The cutoff folds. The button folds, and now the small blind re isolates re to eight dollars. Uh, this causes okay. the big blind to fold. The under the gun player who opened folds, and the hijack uh, makes the call of this rather large four bet in position. We get a pot. Of think about that. Okay. Okay, so the pot came from the blind, the raise came from the blind, so hijack's calling in position with ace-10 suited. Okay. Right. Got it. So that, that's, that all seems reasonable to me. Okay. Right. So on the flop, uh, we see the deuce of diamonds, queen of spades, three of hearts, and uh, out of position, small blind, the four better, bets about one-third pot, uh, 560 into the six. Okay, the queen's not scaring them, right? Well, okay, and that's just you know one of the things you're going to yeah. have to start grasping. Um, the, the small blind has isolated yeah. a four bet with pocket tens, okay, and okay. he's going to be betting. He's he, he's often going to have a lot of bets in a four bet pot. Now, why is that? The reason is right. is because his equity share is usually very very high. He has aces, kings, queens, jacks, ace king, ace queen, ace five suited. Now makes a gutter. Um, so he has a lot of hands uh, that can sell okay. equity to his opponent. So it's he's not thinking about um, the fact so much that I have tens and there's a queen on board. He's thinking I have a very strong range here and I want to bet most of it. So I'm going to bet okay. and I'm going to bet smaller in this case because I am betting even down, you know, because I have tens. such a strong range. I'm gonna right. I want some calls. Right. So so one of the, the things you could say it's is baiting, well, yeah. yeah, why is he not betting larger? Because he has some incentive to bet larger. Well, what's the incentive to bet larger? Well, if the opponent, the hijack, can't have deuces or threes, and say he couldn't even have okay. queens, say he couldn't have queens because he would maybe five bet those. Now the, okay. the small blind should be betting very large. Why not? Why not deuces or threes? Well, I'm just in proposing that maybe he can't. I'm just, I'm asking a question. Okay. Um, if he can't have them, he should okay. be betting a lot larger. And the reason is, it's not that the small blind has such a strong range. It's just that the the hijack has no has nothing but bluff catchers. And maybe the best hand he has here is ace queen. Well, in fact, he might okay. very well have deuces, threes, and uh, queens. Um, he's in position. He doesn't okay. have to put in a five bet. So, in other words, I'm I'm arguing the case for why the small bet, the small blind, is betting uh, five sixty, which is one third pot, and why he's going to get okay. called a lot. Well, he's going to get called a lot because he's going to have ace king, ace jack suited, uh, 
pair of nines, a pair of eights, um, ace five, maybe ace three or ace deuce here. For 500 big blinds deep, he can easily be stealing from the re-isolator um, with a fairly robust four, four bet range. He's, it's, this is not your local two, three game where he's only gonna have aces or kings. Um, so the okay. low jack is going to call. And now things get interesting. Yeah, but by the way, that's the hijack. We'll fix that later. Okay. Okay. So the hijack calls. Um, so now and we're also going to have to fix the turn because we messed that up too. But we'll fix it later. Okay. <laughs> well, this is all <laughs> I just a really mess. butchered that hand. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Okay. Don't worry about it. The point is okay. it's uh, deuce, uh, deuce queen three uh, rainbow. There's a bet in a call. Mm-hmm. There's still stacks to play for at three point SPR 3.1. We started with 500 big blinds. And the turn is the eight of hearts. Uh, the pot is 28. And the small blind now bets two thirds pot or so, uh, about 17 into 28. And now things get interesting. So the button bets, the small blind bets again. And yes, you'd think, uh, why doesn't he check here? Because against the it always just like the other hand it rewinds back to what happened on the flop if the if the small blind bets okay. small on the flop he's probably betting all of his range which means the hijack is okay. calling with just about everything he has except for pure useless garbage that might even just okay. be dominated like if he took a okay. make weak calls or maybe he has pocket fours you know, he might give up now on the eight of hearts, whereas if maybe if a five had okay. come off or an ace had come off, the fours become more valuable. Or maybe he has okay. the wrong suit. Maybe he has a float looking for a backdoor diamond or spade draw. Uh, those don't come, and now he has some give-ups. And so now you see why the small blind can bet. He's not just betting against queens. He's betting against all these hands that had to call right. a $5 bet. And so what's happening here is that, yes, he wants to have a betting range on this card. The eights only improve things to draws. They don't fill any straights and they improve uh, pocket okay. eights, which will be there. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's why he's betting. It's because he's betting because there's still a lot of hands to charge number one thing, and there's still equity to deny. And he's possibly even able to eventually win the pot against one of his primary concerns, which is, which pair is he most worried about that he can still fold out? Fours through sevens? He can fold out fours through sevens for certain, but he's already beating those. I'm saying what pair? Oh, he want, he'd like to get, he would, he would like, of course, to get jacks, kings, and aces to fold. Yeah, he's um, not getting and queen, and, and, yeah, like, and a queen, yeah. He's probably never getting an okay. ace, ace as a queen to fold unless it's a very weak queen. But p- specifically, pocket jacks can go into this merge sort of bet. So you see the bet has a lot of functionality. It's protecting his hand. It's charging all the draws. It's forcing out the floats. Okay. Maybe pocket jacks now or by the river can find a fold. But that doesn't happen. Well, you, over cards, uh, you might be trying to push out too, which is so we Exactly. We if got ace, a hand if slow play, uh, ace king folds. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good thing to happen. Yeah. So, so that's my that's the, that's the explanation as to why this bet is happening. It's it's not about being scared okay. of the queen or not. It's about thinking about the entire range of actions. Uh, so that should answer some okay. questions. Now the button moves in for the effective stack of five hundred big blinds. The remaining okay three hundred and fifty big blinds go in. 
and the small blind is put to the test. And that's the hijack, not the button, by the way. Okay, so these, yeah, we're just... <laughs> yeah, so someone, around. whoever whoever put this hand in is an idiot. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, we'll, we'll go, we'll punish him later. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> this guy's a seat changer. He just keeps moving around. Uh, in any case, we'll just call him the in-position player now moves all in. Um, okay. And the small blind does call off, which seems a little crazy, right? But now... Uh, yes. Why does he call off? It all seems crazy. <laughs> well, it all seems crazy to you. But I would ask you to to step aside for a second and ask yourself, why might the small blind yeah. call here? What are some reasons to call? Well, get, start with okay. the reasons to fold. I mean, you're... you're you're strong on the reasons to fold. You're you're a fold voter here. Okay. Now the reason to the reasons to call is you put your opponent on a flush draw. Okay. Um, Cards came in. And okay. if we're gonna fold, we and if we're going to fold, we should have never bet in the first place because our hand's too strong to bet fold. This bet at this size at this SPR is putting us in a is putting small blind in a tough to position. Is creating right. a uh, tough position for him because now, yeah, now we got to look at it. And I guess here's a case where we, you know, we, we made a tough position. We got bet at. There's probably, um, I mean, I haven't looked. I guess it's sixty-seven dollars to call about a hundred-dollar pot. I mean, th those are, you know, that was my original argument to call is, hey, you gotta, if he's bluffing, you gotta call. Yeah, he's getting over two to um, one on a call here. Yeah, um, he's calling yeah. off sixty-seven to win uh, about one hundred and thirty-three or so. Um, so he's getting a fairly good price. And now we move to why the button did this. Well, he's able to leverage the small blind here. Um, he's able to polarize effectively okay. and lay two to one to his opponent, so he can okay. have a lot of value and a lot of bluffs. And the small blind has to consider and rewind the hand. Well, on the flop, he bet small, uh, encouraging draws to come along. Check mark. So a wide range continued. Nice. Turn eight. Uh, several draws arrived, but very few made hands. Only pocket eights arrived. Pocket eights may raise the turn. In fact, they have an incentive to, uh, given that the, uh, that well, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself looking at all these spots. Uh, yeah. the, the button has an incentive to raise pocket eights here because of the heart draw, but he may not okay. because, because moving all in has a lot of what? It has a lot of fold equity, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Pocket tens are supposed to fold. So if, if the small blind is betting a fairly wide range here, including mm -hmm. still barreling with ace king, moving in with pocket eights doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, really only going to stack very few hands and we're going to lose two pocket queens, which are going to snap call. So even it's it's sort of an illusory thing to think that if I have eights, I need to move in. The only thing we're really achieving is we're protecting from hearts coming in, which are going to come in less than a fourth of the time, right? So in position, okay. the button doesn't have an incentive to move in. And this is what probably the small blind is thinking about. What hands want to move in? Well, it would be pretty awesome to move in with slow played aces here um, and get called off by a queen. But again, uh, jacks, tens, nines may just fold. Uh, so what hands really want to, to, to try to get the fold? 
Well, it's the draws that want to try to get folds. So while you're going to be facing some value here from the um, in-position player, he's now in three different seats according to this hand history. Um, yes. Uh, either way, the small blind, if he's facing a rational opponent who has a bluffing range, um, he can mm -hmm. do the hand reading and he can see that, well, I'm representing a... Uh, I have aces in my range. The reasons to raise are few, but the reasons to raise a draw are many because I'm paying uh, two thirds of the pot and I might not get paid against a tough player when the hearts come in. So if I'm going to capitalize on the pot, I may be raising here. So the small blind makes the call based on the idea that I'm getting two to one. I will see any number of heart floats. Remember Jack 10 of Hearts mm -hmm. uh, is now not only a heart shot, but is uh, gutted. Uh, Ace five of hearts had a gutter to begin with. So there's a multiple hands with extra equity. And then there's all the naked uh, heart draws, including Ace 10 of hearts, yeah. which is what the um, in position player eventually had. So the small blind has to make a, a, a decision versus a range. And this is where. Okay a lot of, you know, softer games, you know, you, you're going to see a lot of easy folds. Uh, you're, going, you're going to get a yeah. lot of folds here because people aren't willing to stack off, but that's not how a tough player does the hand reading. And so that's why this yeah, can't happen. You know how much, uh, my first question is, I'm going to say when the, um, I'm going to say when the in-position player makes the shove, uh, because I, his position keeps changing, uh, how much fold equity... Does he feel he has? Because the in-position player would need, and I am going to guess, more than uh, needs the out-of-position player to fold almost 80% of the time to make this a break-even shove. But that doesn't well, you can do the calculation. Equity. That doesn't What's include that? any equity. It's probably closer to, you know, uh, it's probably much closer No, that, to that's that's that's... Okay. Okay. So it's sixty or seventy percent. Yeah. Given the equity. Yeah, I would say the fold equity that he probably needs is going to be less than thirty percent, uh, because if he has the nut flush draw and an over, his over might be good. We don't know. At some point, the eight okay. might be good. Okay. So, uh, in some cases, the ten might be good, um, and certainly all the hearts are good. Um, up against a set yeah, so. is, his, is his worst condition. Now some of his outs are dead. Um, so we're going to need less than 30% fold equity to make this profitable. Uh, can the small blind fold? Less than 30% fold equity. I'm, uh, we'll do that calculation offline. How's that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's less than 30%. I think, it's, I think he needs more than 50% fold equity, but I don't know. Well, well, I'll, remember I'll, uh, this, I'll bet you a beer is, on it, okay? I'll bet you a beer. Uh, okay, can, can, can I get you that beer at a video poker table? Yeah. Or um, <laughs> at can. a bar top? Okay, that's fair. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think because it's a raise, you need a lot more fold equity than if it were just a bet. And I think the fold equity is going to be more than 50%. And you think it's closer to 30%. Okay, so let's just make it 40%. I'm going to say it's less than 30%, yeah. Okay, so let's make 40% the ah, uh, and I'll run the calculation separately. Wow, okay. you're even giving me 10 more percent. I'm, I'm getting a beer, I can tell. 
Okay. Uh, no, I, I said I said more than fifty. You said less than thirty. So I'm just picking forty as our the threshold here. Oh, all right. We'll um, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Uh, the now let's answer. One I, I more have a bad feeling you're going to pick a beer that I can't get. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find the world. What's the most, the most expensive, expensive beer? beer. <laughs> uh, uh. Okay. So uh, let, let's answer one more question about this hand because it, it, it answers a question you asked. When the button makes that shove, how much fold equity does he have? Well, we talk pure numbers. Well, never mind numbers. Okay. Let's do a little hand reading, play a little poker here and not, okay. just, not just think it robotically. Uh, if the small blind is assumed to be barreling a lot, okay? Okay. Uh, he has a lot of fold equity. Okay, okay. So the, pro the problem for this player who shoves ace 10 here is that he blocks one of the bluffs, one of the, many of the major bluffs that I will have, which are hearts and ace okay. king and maybe ace jack. So the choice to shove ace 10 might not be the most ideal in terms of blockers, even though it is really ideal in terms of equity. Okay. So that that's fold equity plus yeah. equity. Okay. Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is how, when the button's thinking about this and when you're looking at a hand history that doesn't look at, make any sense to you, you can infer something about these players. You can almost say, well, I bet that the imposition player feels that the small blind is barreling a lot in this scenario. And why shouldn't he be? Um, the call, the, the board is fairly dry. Uh, you know, there's no tens, nines. Uh, there's there's an eight that appears on the turn, but because there's ten, okay. no ten, no jacks, tens, nines, or eights on the flop, which would comprise a lot of the sets and very strong hands and draws that the imposition player would have, he can perceivably he can perceive that the the small blind will be barreling at a fairly high frequency, and that when he shoves all in, he'll get ace king and ace jack to fold. Certainly ace five, which desperately wanted to see the next card, will have to fold too, and that's a victory for the 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 in position player as well. Okay. So that was an exciting hand. Um, and of course, for those who love results, tens makes a great call, and then because no good deed goes unpunished, a heart arrives on the river and ace ten of hearts wins. I never uh that means absolute nothing to me oh okay I, I take it. for this discussion of the hand yeah i know a lot of people <laughs> want to know what happened it doesn't matter i think you know what the equity is right here it's all you know in video poker you know you make a decision you hit draw and then you just don't worry about it until the next hand comes you just whatever comes comes you know yeah <laughs> just <laughs> it's just whatever well, whatever happens happens you make the best decisions and once it's up to the poker gods you don't worry about it when it's when there's nothing you can do <laughs> it's, okay well you're a mental paragon a tower of strength not everyone feels about it that way but yeah you should try to be more like joe offsuit for sure uh you've done a great job with posting these and i'm really thankful uh to you for doing that so so good continue oh. to do that and i hope i hope it's i hope the game and posting yeah. is teaching you something 
Well, I'm I'm I am glad to see that other members of the forum are posting hand, and I'm actually um, I am flattered when people when they use the format I use. It's just something I made up that I think works, <laughs> but uh, it takes time, and I'm just real happy to see other people doing it, and I will continue to try to do it myself. And I just encourage others if they have a hand. A lot of these hands we have are very much worth discussing among our group and um i just encourage you know all your listeners play in the game and join the forum and discuss the hands very good and uh, i'll leave the the information for the okay. oop club on the site if you are listening from a podcast aggregator you can just find us at persuadio.nl and you'll get all the information you need well, we've talked for an hour. Is there anything I, I have uh, missed out on? Anything you wanted to say to the TBR community and the public at large, to the President of the United States? Anyone listening? Well, is this about it? We're, we're wrapping then, up. Then I, would, then I would like to tell all of them, AMF, adios, my friends. Well, that's not how I thought that was ending. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, great. Right. It's, it's been great having you here, Joe, and I will see you in the game. Okay. Thanks so much, Chris. And we would like to thank you also for tuning into the Poker Zoo again this week. You can find us, of course, at persuadio.nl or simply do a search for the Poker Zoo. Call the Zoo hotline and tell us who won the fold equity bet. Greater than 40% or less than 40%. 410-775-6224 or just send an audio file to thepokerzoo at gmail.com. Several weeks ago, I mentioned the Office Ladies podcast as one I would recommend. And if you uh, followed my recommendation, fan of The Office or uh, podcasts, other podcasts in general, you were treated this week to a delightful poker reference. So I hope you enjoyed that. We hope you enjoy a delightful Thanksgiving this week with friends and family. With that, we will see you next time. Here's the Poker Zoo.